There's just one more week before the return of Game of Thrones, just one more week before the first episode of the final season, which had its world premiere at a screening in New York City. And we were actually there for that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the premiere, spoiler free, of course, and some of the other recent Thrones coverage leading up to the return. I'm James Hibbard, editor-at-large with Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with TV critic Darren Franich. But before we get into that, a quick sponsor note. Introducing the all-new Toyota RAV4 XSE Hybrid. With sport-tuned suspension, advanced hybrid technology, and relentless horsepower, it's ready to blow past the competition. And since the most powerful RAV4 is a hybrid, it's leaving expectations in its wake. RAV4's revolutionized style and luxurious cabin can give you the comfort and confidence to take over. So if it's power you're after, RAV4's SXE Hybrid is the answer. Visit toyota.com RAV4 for more details. Okay. Um, okay. So some of the things we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about, um, let's see, The Origin of the Night King, which the showrunners recently talked about. We're going to talk about the run times uh, for how long each episode is going to be for the final season. And we're going to talk about a story we broke about writers uh, from Game of Thrones. They kind of broke their silence on the season seven pacing criticisms. And so that's kind of interesting because I think that was kind of like the one thing that, you know, fans kind of nitpicked about in terms of season seven. And um, and yeah, and about the premiere and uh, what that episode was kind of like without, you know, giving anything away. That's that's like real specific. Um Let's see, where, where, where do you want to start, Darren? Uh, here's where I want to start, James. Uh, you sort of let off by saying that we were at the premiere. That's definitely untrue. You were at the premiere, although I, I guess now you're kind of, you're, you're talking. You're with me in spirit. Yeah, sure, sure I was. Um, well, I want to hear everything. Uh, I was following along a little bit on your Instagram account, Hibbert underscore James, but uh, what was the kind of uh, atmosphere like there? I was, I was seeing pictures from before the premiere that made it look as if most of Manhattan had been shut down for the event. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, and um, and thanks for giving my Instagram account a shout out. I might get over 199 followers now. All right, um, so <laughs> that's so, that's when you qualify as an influencer, I believe. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, what what was surprising a bit was how many actors were there from previous seasons. It was it was very much ghost of Game of Thrones past. You had Sean Bean there. You had Jack Leeson, who of course played Joffrey. You had Natalie Dormer. You had Charles Dance. So it, it was. It was a uh, it was a lot of uh, cast members from various seasons. Um, one big omission, though, uh, Lena Headey uh, said she was ill and uh, and couldn't make it, so um, so so Cer- Cersei wasn't uh, there, unfortunately. But um, there was a really great moment before the they started the screening where they opened up the curtains and introduced the cast of game of thrones and it's like it's about like 30 actors like you know stretching across the, the mammoth um you know stage at uh at radio city music hall and it's like it's like such a huge sprawling cast of so much uh, great talent um so you know that was a little special and yeah yeah j- just the entire night i mean as as david benioff and you know Dan Weiss, you know, said before the screening, this is probably the last time that all these people are going to be under one roof together. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it is the sort of the ultimate rap party besides being the sort of massive media prologue to the final season. Um, yeah, I, I guess like I'm trying to think of how to ask you for the most general, non-plotty, like vibe related impressions of the episode. But I guess I mean, because um, we've both previously been to events where we've seen episodes on the big screen. Um, how did this event kind of compare to like the season seven premiere? It, it is it is a show that like it definitely feels very different being viewed 
viewed on a screen of that size uh, than on the TV set or laptop or iPad or wherever people uh, usually watch it on Sunday nights. Yeah, I mean, the showrunners would love it if everybody could watch every episode on the big screen, because one thing you notice when you see it in the theater is, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll see a TV show that's that's screened in the theater and you, you can see that it's kind of being, you know, stretched a little bit. You know, it doesn't really fill the screen very well with Thrones. There's so much detail in like the backgrounds and the costumes and there's so much detail in the music and the sound design that it, it, it kind of fills up the theater in a way that most TV shows don't. So so it really feels like a very c- cinematic experience when, when you get to see it. And the other thing that you miss, too, um, when, when whenever we watch it from home, is how funny it is. I mean, you, you kind of know that there's lots of dry wit within the show, but when you see it in front of an audience and you have, like, the whole crowd, you know, laughing pretty regularly at some of this sort of subtle sarcastic or dry bits of humor that they put in there. Um, you realize that the show is, 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 I mean, a lot of people said that afterward. It's that it's, it's a wittier show than than they remember. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's funny w- w- what you're saying about TV shows on the big screen. I'll always remember. I loved the 2000s revival of Battlestar Galactica, but I made the mistake. Oh yes. But but I made the mistake of going to see a screening of like they did this sort of prequel movie called Razor midway through the run, and I, I love that show to death on the big screen. You definitely had like those hallways looked a little stapled together on like sets and <laughs> on sets yeah. in, in Vancouver. So that had to been different yeah. um what uh, uh so um you know you saw the episode um you were hanging out with uh, the cast you you took some pictures hibbert underscore james uh, on instagram um was it uh i mean it must have just been a total madcap event it sounds like uh, everywhere you look you're seeing another person from game of thrones past yeah yeah no it was it, it was a pretty uh incredible party uh, you know very very packed and and so so you're just sort of elbows to elbows with you know you know you know the hound at, at you know, or or the mountain at, at at any any given moment and and the actors are, are of course being you know pretty swamped but um but i mean you know there there are more, there are things i i i can talk about the uh the the, the first episode I, I i did come up with a couple other general thoughts okay. uh, you know i mean I mean, the overall takeaway is I would say that it was it was terrific. It was a terrific opener. There is a lot of reunions and first meetings, as you'd expect, given that you know so many people are converging at Winterfell. There is a lot of you know, table setting for the rest of the season, as you might expect. But there's also a couple you know big things that happens too. Uh, you know, it's not just a sleepy opener that uh, you know where it's all sort of setting up for things later. Um, it was interesting. I got in a little bit of a debate with one critic afterward, and he was like, "Going well, it's kind of like, you know, all you know, there's there's just a lot of table setting." It's like, <laughs> well, you know, like for instance, one thing that happens, and this is in the trailer, is John being reunited with Arya, you know, and, who he hasn't seen since like I forget whether it's episode uh, one or two, and that would be the highlight of an episode of, of season four. Right. I mean, that would be like the big thing that happens. I like, I remember when John was uh, reunited with, with Sansa and what a huge moment that was. And that's just like one, you know, kind of minor component in everything that happens here. So I think part of it is the expectations game, right? You're going into this final season after waiting nearly two years for it. You have such high expectations and you expect every moment to be huge and epic. And, and a lot of it is. Um, also, David Nutter, who directed it, uh, I thought he just knocked it 
out of the park. You know, we always associate him with uh, the Red Wedding. And there are so many shots in here that are that are so iconic. And yet it doesn't draw attention to itself in in, in a way where you're like, oh, the direction's really great in the scene. It, it, it's one of those really immersive, you know, director jobs where you're just like completely and utterly sucked in. Now, uh, I have to ask this as a connoisseur of James Hibbard's Game of Thrones coverage. Do we see some of those new corners of Winterfell? Are there are there more parapets? Are there more uh, <laughs> uh, pieces of, of, of the fortress? Do you do like I, I guess like in an actual way, do you feel the kind of expanded sense of the production in, in this first episode? That's funny you should ask that because I was looking for that too. <laughs> and my answer is kind of not really. I don't think that the casual fan will notice much that's different. There is this one shot and I don't think the shots a spoiler but it's it's there's this one overhead shot of, of Winterfell that where you sort of see the whole layout of of you know you know the entire grounds and all the different buildings and the godswood and I don't know if we've seen a shot quite like that before and it made me wonder if that was a setup shot for the for the battle to come that they want you to start to give you a better sense of the geography of 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 Winterfell um so, uh, you know, not so much this, but I expect, you know, since we have obviously more episodes taking place at Winterfell, it might be kind of a gradual uh, unveiling of of uh, what's new. Yeah, it is funny because, uh, I mean, in, in the lead up to the season, all the time we've talked about it, like I have wondered, like, you know, has, has there ever been such a single hub in any season of the show that everything, at least initially, is kind of rotating around? Um, any other just kind of like general impressions or like things that you think people will be, you know, uh, reacting to in this first episode? I, I was sort of wondering if just given the size of the cast, if there's people who don't appear in, in, in uh, the first episode. Yeah, there are there are some people who don't appear, but they they do a pretty good job of giving just about everyone that you expect to be in it, you know, their their own little moment. Um, you know, obviously, some of the preseason coverage has been teasing up, uh, you know, Danny meeting uh, Sansa and and how that goes, and that's definitely a very interesting part of the first episode mm -hmm. you know you know Daenerys coming in you know meeting Sansa and you know Jon's there and you know Arya's there and that whole how that whole chemistry between you know this you know the Starks and uh their new Targaryen queen uh that's definitely probably one of the most interesting threads in, in the first episode uh, very cool and now just a quick break with unexpected twists and turns around every corner the all-new Toyota RAV4 Limited delivers advanced tech refined styles, available dynamic torque vectoring all-wheel drive, and multi-terrain select. So it's prepared for pretty much anything in its path. Visit toyota.com slash RAV4 for more details. Now back to the show. Well, James, uh, like, it's so cool that you got to see that on the big screen. It's going to be really interesting to sort of talk uh, about the episode in depth next week. Um, if it's cool, uh, I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit uh, and just kind of talk about some of the stuff that you've been posting on, on an hourly basis uh, on EW.com. Um, you sort of mentioned uh, that uh, this episode, um, I believe it came in at the 54-minute mark, and I know that because you wrote about uh, the run times of all the episodes of this season of Game of Thrones. Um, HBO officially released these episode lengths. And interestingly, I guess the episode you saw is actually the shortest of the bunch, right? Because it starts at 54 and then it seems like it just keeps on building up over the course of the season. 
Right. Yeah. The first episode is 54 minutes. Um, so it's so pretty much, you know, standard runtime for a Game of Thrones premiere. Uh, the second one is 58 minutes, so just a teeny bit longer. And then things get interesting. Uh, the, the the third episode is a, an hour and 22 minutes. So that's like, what, 82 two minutes? Uh, yeah. And then episode four is an hour and 18 minutes. So just a couple minutes shy of, of 80 minutes. And so episode three is looking like, you know, if that runtime holds up, you know, that's like... You know, you know, potentially the, the I think that's the longest episode that they've ever had. And then, what's also interesting though is see episodes five and episode six are listed at an hour and twenty. Now, so my my prediction here is is those times are not yet set. That when you have the first four being a very precise number and then the last two being a rounded number, that makes me think that those cuts are still not quite locked yet. And I would not be surprised at all if HBO puts out an update um, in, in the coming weeks uh, with new times for those uh, last two episodes. I, I think you're right. I, it's just, it's hard for me to imagine the last episode is not going to be the longest, just given the fact that, I mean, who knows, maybe at that point, if literally everybody is dead, that actually turns out to be much shorter if we're just focusing on like the final two characters left alive. And it's like just the Cleganes fighting in the, you know, ruined zombie land of Westeros. But I just feel as if the pure momentum and kind of snowball rolling down a mountain effect is going to create the longest. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, just looking at the third episode, that's where there's like, there's the jump in reported time of about 24 minutes. Um, you know, I, I look at that and I assume that 12 of those minutes are going to be Jon Snow climbing through a body pile. But it is just interesting to see like how quickly we kind of ramp up to, I mean, really almost feature length. I, I, I know it's only kind of in the like 70 to 70 two to 82 minute marks but you know there there, there used to be movies that were that long before <laughs> before right. before every movie was two and a half hours long yeah yeah and there's been some confusion on that point too because an hbo executive went out and said it's like six movies and so people you know assumed and and i can totally see why people would take that from this you know you know, they assume that that meant, oh, they're all two hours each. But, you know, he meant you know, their cinematic quality. Yeah. Because once you get over a certain number of minutes, once you, you know, you know, you get past an hour and a half, it's like you might as well do two episodes. Um, you know, there's no point in doing a two hour episode of, of an hour long show. You, you, you would just do an extra episode. But there is some budgetary math that also goes on behind the scenes there, too, because if you, you could do fewer episodes and end up putting a season's worth of, of production budget into those episodes and really blow them out and and do more with them in terms of uh, in terms terms of effects and and terms of production and you know obviously with you know at least one episode this season the, you know, that's exactly what they did with the uh, the big battle episode yeah i mean th these are like very expensive minutes um you know but but if you want to like you know compare them to a movie it's like you know they're the length of roger corman movies but the cost of you know a lesser avengers movie so it it, it, <laughs> it, it, it seems like it's a pretty good trade-off james you were also talking to the writers of game of thrones about some of the complaints about season seven's pacing um we we talked about this a little bit, but season seven was kind of when everybody got the fast travel ability and, you know, sequences that would have taken whole seasons of sort of traveling south or traveling north started to get sort of cut down to, well, to, to, to nothing sometimes in the case of John going from Winterfell down to um, Dragonstone. Uh, wh what were their kind of thoughts on that? Because that was sort of like, I think, the main critique that uh, viewers had of season seven. 
Yeah, that was a question I really want to ask them because uh, there's a lot of talk about it online. And uh, I don't think it was anybody's favorite question that I asked. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, they're, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like co-executive producer Brian Cogman was just like, you know, we made a choice to, you know, basically just get on with it. And he's like, you can sit at home and do the math on how long it took to get the boats from point A to point B and whatever that was. Yes, that's what it was. But, you know, everybody always has to, you know, graft on to, to something and that outrage is better than others. So I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so there's a certain sense of... Well, you know, there's always going to be something that people are going to pick on. And if that's like the thing that everybody's focusing on and that's the big complaint, then that's a pretty small complaint at the end of the day. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, sure, Dan, uh, Dan Weiss was just like, you know, I have no idea what percentage of people watching that pinion actually represents. And if it's it could be one percent of people that feel like that it becomes an internet thing for 10 minutes and that seems like more than 10, 1% of people but there's no way of really knowing how accurate those thoughts are to the broad spectrum of speak people watching and at the end of the day you'll kind of drive yourself nuts if you think about it too much and another writer Dave Hill was like you know you obviously don't want criticism of any, any kind you know, sometimes we had to speed some things up to kind of get everything where we needed it to be you know for season 8 and uh, you know he, he noted that there are a lot of time cuts that the vast majority of viewers didn't notice that yeah. they were kind of a little more tricky about that they managed to do. And you could do something clunky, like putting a title card on screen like three weeks later, but that's not really the style of the show, right? Yeah. I think it's hard. I mean, cause in, in thinking back on this issue, the last couple of years, it all just kind of comes down to the intangibles sometimes. Cause like, you know, you want to kind of feel that the time has passed and actually, right. you know, th th there was that one great bit where backup in Winterfell, um, there's just like a brief scene where it's made clear that like, Sansa has like really impressed all of the northern lords and like you know that's a moment where you're like okay like I get it like you know I, I feel that there's been a few weeks or a few months that have gone by here and I wonder if it was just like it's just hard because then you have stuff like everything going on with Danny was kind of in that liminal space where they were planning stuff all around the continent but it seemed to be kind of happening all in the span of of, of a few days so I, I just it, it's a hard thing to balance when you when you have so many characters and it's like for like 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 for, like, like for Sansa months have had to have passed for her to have kind of had that kind of experience for her to have kind of achieved that sort of pinnacle of, uh, of, of a claim. So it's, it's, it's just tricky when you're telling a story all around a, you know, two continents basically. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the summit too is just that there are so many episodes in the early seasons that were devoted to characters traveling, you know, and getting to know each other on those travels. And people like those episodes, you know, people like those, those, those sort of, you know, slower walk and talks, you know, part of it, I think is as they get ramp up to the final season, they want to sort of increase the pace. They're not still at that stage of the storytelling where, you know, you're trying to get to know these characters and, and learn about them during those quiet scenes. You kind of know who everyone is at this point. And so, you know, I, I, I can understand both the complaints about it, but I also completely understand from the writer's position position where they're coming from too. And, you know, this is one of those things, and I, th I think one of the biggest challenges they had last season was, you know, they knew they needed to get the wall down. They came up with a really cool idea, you know, the Night King gets a dragon. Well, how do you get the Night King a dragon in the episodes that they have? And they came up with, you know, the best solution that they could think of. And 
it's one of those things where you can kind of nitpick things about it. But at the same time, if I were to sit down for a couple hours with a paper and pen, I don't think I could come up with a better solution than what they did. Um, whereas a lot of times it shows when, when there is something uh, that's annoying, you, you, you think to yourself, well, I could have fixed that. Like, like we were talking about like the new Twilight Zone and, and, and how you know, we, we, we exchange all these emails about the new Twilight Zone. And I urge... You know, you know, readers to go check out uh, Darren's uh, review of that. Uh, that and and it's like there's so much that's good there. At the same time, you feel like if you could have had those four episodes and an editing bay, and you could spend like a day like recutting those episodes, you could have probably turned out better cuts than than what actually aired that were tighter and you know, you know, more uh, and had better pacing. Um, yeah. Whereas with Thrones, usually when they do something that uh, that I you know you know I don't like or I think you know could have been done better, I I, have, I struggle to figure out how that they could have done it because it's usually a result of getting themselves into such a tight corner that they're trying to figure out how to you know how to get to the next thing and make it work. Yeah, I mean it is really kind of almost the opposite problem, and it, we may we may or may not talk about this as we see how the season turns out. But like, I mean, with the Twilight Zone, for example, as with a lot of shows now, I always think like the main fix is make it a lot shorter. Like you know, episode lengths are just getting longer and longer all across the board, and a lot of times that's not good for a show. With Thrones, especially in season seven, I sometimes feel like the only solution was to make it longer. Like you know, have a travel episode. Or, you know, bring in some of the other parties that are more present in, in the books at, at this point in the story. And again, like, you know, I'm saying this about a show that is, by some metrics, the largest production in TV history. So it's just it's I, I, I think it's tricky. I, I do sort of feel their general feeling that, like, there was a point they had to get to. And now we're at that point. So I'm intrigued to see right. where it goes from here. Uh, James, <clears throat> you mentioned The Night King. And I think one of my favorite pieces um, that you've uh, written recently, you actually talked to the writers about the essentially the creation of the Night King, or at least the creation of um, their version of the character, who's not super pro. He's not present at all in the books so far, and it's not even not even really clear to me that like he will exist in the same kind of capacity. Um, well, what was that kind of conversation like? Because I I loved reading this because at this point in time we're so deep into Thrones that I'd kind of forgotten about just how much that was a sort of innovation of the uh, TV adaptation. Right. Yeah. A lot of people on Twitter were like shocked when I did that story because they're like, wait, that's not from the books <laughs> because it's it's such an integral part of the show. And I think so well, you know, integrated with the rest of the story that it feels like something that must have been uh, one of George R. R. Martin's creations. But uh, but no, you know, they 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 had this situation where they're like. You know, they want to create a prehistory. Um, they've seen what the White Walkers can do. They've seen, you know, how they perpetuate themselves and create the Whites. So, they, you know, as Dan Dan Weiss put it, you know, if you're going backwards, well, if you if they made these things, then 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 what made them? It's sort of like you know the logic that James Cameron took when he did Aliens. It's like, well, you know, if the eggs result in aliens, what lays the eggs? And that's how he came up with the alien queen for aliens. So it's the same sort of logic. It's kind of working backward. And plus, he said he, he liked the implication that these weren't some kind of supernatural cosmic evil that have been around since the beginning of the time, but rather the White Walkers had a history that uh, that, you know, there's a historical cause and effect 
that made these things happen. And so that's a, that's a comprehensible uh, thing. You know, they're they're the result of the children of, of the forest creating this, this sort of demon to unleash upon their enemies. And now it's sort of, you know, grown into this force that's that's beyond anyone's control. Yeah. And I, w- one thing I find interesting about that is just, you know, thinking about um, you know, that origin story in the context of how season seven ended. It was just kind of interesting to me to kind of link it all together where you have the White Walkers are created as this weapon by the children of the forest to defeat their enemies and ultimately the weapon get, gets out of their control. Um, in a sort of similar, maybe abstract way, you know, you've sort of had all along this, like, this dream of like Danny's returning with her dragons and the dragons are like not only her weapon of conquest, they seem like a pretty straightforward way to take down the White Walkers. They are breathing fire and fire and ice and all that stuff. But, you know, to see the dragon sort of turned against itself and to see it now become an engine of the other side, it just, I don't know, I I like the sort of symmetry of that. Um, And obviously it was great to hear from, uh, you know, you've done a couple pieces now with uh, the guy who's played um, uh, the Night King. And it is just funny because, I mean, it's just kind of, I think, an interesting piece of adaptation because, you know, the Night King has only appeared a few times, really, but it has been kind of handy to have him as the personification of the White Walkers. And, you know, that's he's he's a person you can put on a cover of EW or a person that you can put right. on, on the poster. And so it just seems like as a sort of, you know, translation of what the books are doing, it's, it's an interesting sort of, um, it's an interesting and maybe kind of visual choice, really. Well, yeah, it, it helps to have a focal point villain, right? I mean, it, it helps to have have a, you know a certain um, figure that you can sort of hone in on as you know this is 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 the head vampire, um, and who also you know is unique in that he doesn't speak. Um, and uh, showrunner David Benioff, you know, noted he's like, well, well, well what's the Night King going to say? You know, anything the Night King says diminishes him. You know, and you know, I, I think it was you, you, you who jo- joked he probably has like a high squeaky voice. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> you know? And, Hi, I'm the Night. Yeah, voice so. of voice of Gilbert Gottfried, man. Like, like what a, what an incredible reveal that'll be. <laughs> um. Let's see, James. Uh, one other thing that uh, I, w- I-, I wanted to ask you about: um, you were talking a little bit to Maisie Williams, uh, and she was talking a little bit about the sort of Arya aspect of season eight. Arya, in general, I'm just really intrigued about where the show goes with her right now because we sort of discussed before this idea of like, you know, what are the kind of spinal stories of the entirety of Game of Thrones, and like one of them has kind of been the like Arya begins, you know, or origin story of going from being, you know, young starkling to, you know, a vengeful ninja warrior badass. Um, and uh, she, you know, mainly though, she was talking a little bit about this idea of what she's up to with her sister this season, which is also interesting because Arya and Sansa's relationship was probably the one other critique that you could have had about season seven. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, for, for Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner, you know, that that they said that that felt a bit unnatural to them, but that's also partly because, and we're, we're referring to Arya and, and, and Sansa, you know, fighting. Um, but that's also because they're such great friends in real life that, it, that, that kind of conflict, you know, is, is a bit tougher for them to, 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 to portray. But in the final season, um, Maisie says, you know, they're very much, 
you know, they're very much united and, and they're very much on, on, on the same page. And, um, you know, Maisie noted, you know, last season it was tough for, 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 for Sansa because John was thinking with his penis and it made Sansa look bitter. You know, you know, this season you see Arya teaming with Sansa and sometimes calling out John. It felt nice and powerful to stand next to Sophie. You know, Sophie and I are the tightest of friends when sitting across from anyone, so no acting required. Uh, it, in fact, in fact, I think, I think it just broke today that um, that um, Maisie is going to be uh, the maid of honor at uh, at Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas's wedding too. Oh, so, awesome. so, so, so they, they really are the, the tightest of, of, of friends in real life. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, they're they're very much a a united front uh, uh, this season. Sounds like, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and just in general, I don't know. It's cool to think of like we've lost so many characters along the way, but like to think about where Sansa and Arya started to where they are now. Um, I don't know. That, I, I just like that's one of those kind of like enriching. You know, we've seen them grow up in every kind of way uh, dynamics. So I'm 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 excited to hear. I, I was a little bit worried. Like oh, like you know, maybe just are we gonna get one more episode of them? Like maybe try to kill each other. So it's 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 good to know we're not. Good to know that that's no longer on the table. Um, James, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about the fact that you've seen the episode. People have seen the episode now. Um, you know, as much as I assume that, that everyone who's at the mm. premiere will not be revealing plot points. We, we, we live in a day and age where information just goes everywhere. Um, you have kind of written about this a little bit, but what's the sort of, um, I guess, defensive methodology for Game of Thrones viewers this season to not get spoiled? Right. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because, um, you know, I think Game of Thrones is like the final season of Game of Thrones is kind of like a pop culture Super Bowl. Right. I mean, you're because you're not going to be able to avoid knowing the outcome after it ends, you know, and the show isn't just airing in the United States, but airing live or near live in hundreds of territories around the world. So you kind of have to figure that, that, that spoilers are going to flood in from every corner of the globe when, you know, you know, it's as soon as, soon as it's over, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Ali news, newscast, friends, family, coworkers, you know, unless you're like, you know, doing, going total Unabomber remote mountain cabin, no internet, <laughs> Spoilers are going to be pretty unavoidable. So, you know, if you haven't yet caught up on the show, I'd urge you to catch up on the show. If you have caught up on the show, I would definitely urge watching live. And one little thing about that, too. If you live on the West Coast, you might consider watching the East Coast feed via HBO Go or HBO Now instead of the linear telecast. So so that would mean watching at like 6 p.m. instead of 9 p.m. So that's a little bit of a sacrifice, I guess, you know, in, in terms of, of your Sunday daylight hours, you know, but like in the UK fans stay up to, I think it's like 2 a.m. to watch Thrones to avoid spoilers. So, so, so we still have it really easy, no matter what coast you're on. <laughs> and, and then of course, if you, if you can't or won't watch live, then I would just treat the internet like lava, you know, and your yeah. phone, like a spoiler filled, you know, hand grenade. So if possible, you know, just to turn your phone off, you know, you're going to look, you're just going to habitually like check Twitter or something. And then you're going to be like, damn it. Yeah. I didn't want to know that 
you know, yeah. Arya dies in the first episode or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think like the lava approach is smart. I mean, I, I would just add like, you know, turn off all push notifications if you're someone who has like news apps because like, I mean, I you know, even besides a pop culture venue like us, I just think that like every newspaper, magazine, anything will be doing the break off posts about XYZ dying. Uh, I mean, even if you're on like, I, the funny thing is, James, I'm because I, I tend to be a little like, you know, when it's a show that I really love, I tend to be a little spoiler phobic. And so I'm even kind of like, you know, if you are on social media while watching it, just be careful because like, I mean, you know, once it's on HBO Go, someone could just skip right to the end or something like that. I, I believe. That's true. And That's just, a good point. So just, be like, just be like very aware. Like it, it might be one of those situations where like, you know, again, we all are approaching this differently. If you're someone who's like posting stuff on social media, like just be very aware of the fact that like it's out there and it's the thing that every single person is sort of talking about. So, but, but it's hard because, you know, for a lot of people I know, the sort of social media aspect of this show is a big part of what makes it fun. And I, I do, I do sort of think that like people do follow a little bit more of an etiquette with Thrones, maybe just because it is so popular. But yeah, I think like it's, it's, it's an exploding volcano of pure spoilers going out every Sunday night. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I mean, yeah, some places are responsible, you know, uh, but a lot of people are not going to wait until you catch up. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you know, the world is, is not going to wait. And, um, and you know, for the, like EW.com, you know, we'll have recaps, we'll have interviews. Um, and as with all our TV postmortem coverage, we try to craft like an engaging headline that doesn't outright give anything away. We also really try to be careful about pairing it with a with a like a non-spoiler photo. But, you know, some degree of headline clarity is still necessary, especially if we're doing like multiple stories about one episode, which we will be. So you can't be entirely vague and photos still need to support the subject matter to some extent or or, or else, you know, it, it becomes a very unclear situation yeah. what story this is and what you're clicking on. So it's like we, we try to take steps to protect people but you know sometimes you know a lot of times you you can put it together it's like you know so and so about that shocking scene and yeah. da, da, you, but then, well now you know that that actor is involved in a shocking scene and do you even want to know that yeah so it's just hard you know, though because i mean so definitely come to us you know after you're done watching but uh you know just ju just know that you know everybody's going to be you know you know, posting a lot of stuff uh, during. Yeah, it's just hard, though. I mean, like, you know, th th there is this stuff that has to happen for editorial clarity, even though I do think it'd be hilarious if all of your posts, like, right after the, the show were just, like, like character portraits of, like, I don't know, um, um, Dolores Ed or something like that. Like, just things that have nothing to do with anything happening in the uh, current <laughs> season. Did, did I pronounce his name wrong again? I've I, I pronounced that character's name wrong every time that I've ever tried to say it out loud. Um, James, uh, anything else that people can expect from your coverage of Thrones in, in the lead up? Uh, or, I guess, in turn, when the episode actually uh, starts to come out? Um, we, are we of course, going to be here every Monday with the podcast. Um, we're, we're usually recording it at the tail end of what I assume for you will be a 48-hour marathon writing session. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, we're going to be doing recaps, but I mean, after the first episode, I won't have seen anything in advance. So, I mean, the recaps will be going up. I might be doing uh, live writing, which I've done in some years where we post a little bit and then keep updating. Uh, uh, but uh, the full recap will probably be up in like, like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe. Um, 
and uh, then we'll record the podcast uh, Monday mornings, and then we'll try to get that edited and up uh, you know, on the servers uh, by the end of day Monday. Um, and we'll have like you know, post-mortem interviews with, with certain actors and, and writers about each episode. And uh, yeah, up until then, we, we still have you know a lot of preseason interviews and content uh, every day on EW.com. Mm-hmm. And Oh, one other thing, you know, we always forget to do this and, you know, we always get dinged uh, by the people that do our podcast because we never ask this. But if you like this podcast, uh, if you uh, would like to help support the podcast, I mean, if you could leave a a good review for us, um, that really helps the podcast in terms of uh, placement and people finding it. If you find this valuable and you'd be willing to uh, leave a nice review, I mean, those, you know, when people leave five-star reviews for a podcast, it really apparently helps the algorithm and the robots decide how important you are. So James is being way too nice here. Everyone listening to this, do you know how much James is killing himself each week for this show? Give us a review here. Come on. I'm not doing too much, but I would also like a really nice review too. So, uh, but do give us a review uh, on uh, you know wherever you find your, your podcasts. Uh, you you can find this show in all various uh, podcast venues. Before we go, courage can be a powerful asset, which is why the all new Toyota Rav4 Adventure Grade comes with standard dynamic torque vectoring, all wheel drive, and multi train select, so you have the courage and confidence to roam over almost any train. Just visit toyota.com slash rav4 for more details. I think that's it for this week. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, Darren is at, at, uh, at Darren Franich. I'm at James Hibbard. And we'll be back next week after the Game of Thrones Season 8 premiere. <laughs>